You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, Utah friends and family, and welcome into today's episode of the Locked on Utes podcast. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all platforms. And, you know, me hosting on Fridays, taking uh, just taking some of the pressure off of Brian, um, I've brought in some of my friends, and today I have one of my best friends, one of the Someone I like to confide in and talk about and bounce ideas off of, the amazing Cole Bagley. Cole, how are you today? Good. It's uh, it's good to be back on uh, Locked on Utes. Um, yeah, just excited to, to talk. There's a whole lot going on in the world of Utah athletics, even though football season ended and the job never stopped. So it's, it's always good to be on and, and talk and, and uh, converse with with one of my biggest mentors, someone who really got me started at the Chronicle. Now we're neither of us are there, which is weird, but life that, life goes on. Life does go on. Speaking of big news coming off the hill yesterday, Luther Ellis was named the newest defensive line coach at the University of Utah. Cole, how do you feel about that hire? I think it's great. You know, they're bringing back a lot of guys that have been with the program that know the culture that, you know, we're just beasts on the field, you know, who had some, you know, experiences in the NFL. And I think it's great. You know, I mean, Utah has really started to climb and, and build its brand and establish themselves of a, as a premier program. And of course that's going to attract the attention of other programs and, and some coaches are going to leave um, whether that's, them, you know, being, uh, you know, other programs coming in and swooping them out and taking them just like, you know, what happened with USC and, and McDonald. But um, I think they've done a great job replacing some of the guys they've lost so far and really can't complain about it. I think it's a, a really good move. I agree. I think it's great to bring in one of the original bad boys of Utah football. Um, Luther Ellis played in the 90s before I was born. I know that is kind of a shock, but I have heard stories of him and his playing days from my dad. I've watched the clips. He really was the first, in my opinion, one of the first defensive linemen to stake a claim at this is what Utah football is. And ever since he has been at Utah, it's just gotten better and better. Um, You have Starlo Tulele playing with the Buffalo Bills. You have... um, Mika Tafool probably will be drafted this year. Maybe Huachi Pututau. Um, you have countless guys in the NFL who play on this defensive line. And it all started with Ellis. So you're keeping the tradition alive. And I think that that is going to pay dividends. We'll see how it pays off in the recruiting trail. But as of right now, I think it is a very smart hire. Um, Cole, do you think he's going to have an effect on recruits coming in as that Look at me. I was the first guy from the defensive line drafted in the NFL for Utah. How do you think that's going to affect how he brings kids in? Yeah, I think I think this first year is going to be pretty pivotal to his recruiting to. I mean, there's a lot of youth on that defensive line and he's going to have an opportunity to show what he can do with some of these younger guys. And, um, you know, if they can really continue to establish themselves as as a top tier defense and get continue to grow, you know, that defensive line, the defensive tackles, I think he will really improve the recruiting. But again, it just, he, he has the, he has the potential. Like we talked about, he was a beast himself. and He really established himself as um, one of Utah's great defensive uh, players in their history of the program, did some stuff in the NFL. And so I think if he can really produce and help this defense produce in 2022, that will, really help him with recruiting um i mean it's not it's not that they're they're not struggling in recruiting i don't think but i think he could potentially take it to the next level and it's also luther's not walking into a completely bare cabinet he has tons and tons of potential tons and tons of weapons that are currently in that defensive line room you have junior tafuna aliki viamahi you have countless guys who are going to come in there and already have produced devin kafusi so that's great for him. He's not 
facing an uphill battle from his first day in on the job. He still has tons of talent up in there. His son's on the team. So I'm excited to see how this pays out or plays out because if the production level does dip, I do see them maybe saying, hey, this probably wasn't the best hire. Let's move on to someone else. But if the production level stays where it's been at for the last couple of years or even improves, I think this is going to be one of uh, a very smart hire for coach for Kyle Whittingham and staff. Um, one of the mottos of the team is uh, next man up and also trust the process. And again, this is just how it is. You're trusting the process. And if Ellis works out as the defensive line coach, fantastic. If not, you know, Wit is going to, Wit will be like, Hey, yeah, we, we messed up on this one. And he's obviously going to try and correct that mistake. Yeah. Totally. And, and you mentioned a few names there and two that I think can really shine and really help him prove that he de- deserves that coaching position. You talk about Junior Tafuna. He had an excellent season. I think one of the pleasant surprises for this Utah defense, you know, some injuries took place. He comes in, he ends up being, I believe he was the defensive, the Pac-12 defensive freshman of the year, um, which was just fabulous to see him achieve that so I'd like to see him take it to even the next level and be one of the premier guys in the conference and then I want to see what he can do with Kafusi because I don't feel like Kafusi has really played at his full potential yet Um, I'd like to see some more speed from him um, and just some more ferocity I I don't feel like we really saw the full everything I, I have heard that he is potentially better than his brothers um, who played in the NFL. And I just haven't seen that, but I think it's there. I just want to see, okay, what, what can he do with Devin? Can he really help Devin have an excellent final season at Utah to potentially turn some heads and really grow his draft stock? And that's a good point you bring up about Devin because he's a, he's a massive human being. And he should be able to manhandle these offensive lines. Hopefully, you would hope, given the size advantage he has over some of them. But, yeah, this year he just didn't – you you saw him a couple of times. He came in after um, Viani Mawala got hurt. But then Devin lost the spot to Junior Tafuna. So, it's just – it was just – it was a circle. And it was a cycle for Devin. And I want to see – that is a good point, having him – if he can make that jump to the next level heading into his senior season, because you don't want to be that one, the one that kind of is like, Oh, I have the family name, but then at the same time, you're just kind of like, you have the potential, but then nothing comes of it because of bad coaching. I mean, if you watched, sorry, cut you off. If you watch Corbin, his older brother who played at BYU, the dude was just like a, a bull out of the pen and would just attack opposing offenses. Like he would just break free, manhandle some offensive lineman and just terrorize backfields. And I know Devin can do that, but I just, I really think it's going to take some development. And I really hope that he is a primary focus um, for Ellis coming in. And I think it's also good to see that Kyle Whittingham is acknowledging his former players or former players who have been in the program who have now taken coaching responsibilities. Ellis is being the second in this cycle of his of former Utah players to be hired as a coach, the other being Quinton Ganther, who was hired to uh, replace Kyle McDonald earlier this month. Um, that just that takes some good awareness that you're not letting your your guys miss opportunities is what I'm trying to go for because if they want to get in coaching you got to take whatever opportunity you can get Quinton was at Weber State and then went to the Jaguars and now is back at Utah Um, Luther was coaching at Idaho and now he's back at Utah so these guys are coaching and yes Idaho is vastly different than coaching at Utah because you have different talent levels you're playing against different opponents all of those things but he still has the coaching experience. It's not like he hired Wit hired someone who had no coaching experience prior and was like, Hey, go coach this world-class defensive line up to the standard that we've had before. Yeah, it's a family and Wit's just continuing to take care of that family. But I, but I think it goes beyond that. I think these guys are totally deserving and they'll have their opportunity now to, I mean, Utah has now come into the promised land of the PAC 12. 
And now it's time to continue dominating and prove that you can really continue to stay atop of that mountain. And I think that these hires are um, have all the potential to do so. And, and I'm excited to see what they can do. What a great point to end that on. So thank you for that, Cole. But this is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite. For the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com locked. Head over to netsuite.com locked for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer for the number one financial growing business. netsuite.com locked on. And we're back for the second segment of the Fantastic Friday is what we're going to call it today between me and Cole Bagley. Thank you again for making Locked On Utes your first listen every single day. And we are free, of it, free and available on every single platform. But we're going to turn our focus right now to some other sports that are going on right now up at the Hill. Make words, namely hoops, men's and women's basketball. Cole, last week you were... You had the honor of watching Utah take on Stanford at home. So, and they lost by, it was a, from what I could tell on Twitter and by like watching the box score, it was a close game. Um, and youth ended up falling to Stanford. But Cole, what were your initial thoughts from seeing that game? Well, I think a lot of people were taken by surprise. Um, that was actually women's basketball's first conference game because COVID has, they were plagued with COVID for a few weeks, missed a few games. And then I believe one of the Pac-12 teams, I, don't, I can't remember if it was Cal or ASU. Um, they were supposed to come and play the Utes and they ended up having COVID. So they didn't play a game of basketball for a few weeks, especially, and I mean, they didn't have a home game for about a month um, with Christmas break and COVID. It just was crazy. Um, and Aside from that, they welcomed the number two team in the country, one of the top programs in the nation, to the Huntsman Center, and they put up a fight. Um, a lot of people were kind of expecting, and I can't say that I was not—I was not a part of this. I was expecting Stanford to come and just kind of roll, roll the Utes. Um, they hadn't played for a while. Stanford's, you know, phenomenal program. They they recruit really well and they play a really sound basketball. Um, they have, they have one of the top defenses in the country. I think they're ranked fifth as, uh, as far as opposing defense, uh, opposing offensive field goal percentage goes. Um, and the youths just came in and, and played with a lot of grit. They, they played out of their minds in the first half. They, they led by, I think as many as 11 or 12 points. And they just were, they just, Lynn did a great job coaching in that game, coaching strategy. And um, Utah was, was really feasting on the inside. And they also were hitting uh, pretty, pretty consistently from the outside. They had a couple of big shots. Um, unfortunately, not that the youth showed their true colors, but Stanford really showed their true colors. Uh, when it came down the stretch, Stanford went to their, uh, their best players, their two leaders, uh, their, their points per game leader in one of their bigs. And she just dominated. I think she scored 10 points in the quarter, which is as many as Utah scored in the fourth quarter. So she matched Utah and, and you know, a couple other people added. And um, they ended up winning the game by about 10 points. But I was really impressed. And um, the Utes have a lot of really impressive uh, young freshmen. Um, especially Jonna Neepkins and Jenna Johnson. Jenna is just a beast. Um, she plays forward. Uh, she plays really strong. She plays really good, sound, fundamental basketball. She uses her body really well, gets to the hoop, and a lot of her buckets come in that painted area. She's a, she's a lot of fun to watch. Um, so th there's a lot of promise with this team. And, and afterwards, I was talking to the head coach of Stanford, and she said that she believes Utah is a NCAA tournament team. Um, and 
I think there's potential there. I'm not quite sold yet. I'd like to see how they fare in the pack, you know, in, in the conference. Now they'll have, you know, they played just their first game and now we'll get a more, uh, a couple more rolling in here. Um, I think they have the potential. And if not this year, I think with these freshmen, they have a lot of freshmen and sophomores that are contributing um, that do a lot for this team. I think give it a season, maybe two when you get Jenna and, and, and Neepkins up, up there is, you know, sophomores, juniors, this could be a very good basketball team. And, and uh, for anybody listening, get out and see these girls play. Um, they, they really gave the number two team a run for their money. And there were not a lot of people there, which is really unfortunate. The must, there's two people in the must and just not enough people in the stand. So get out and see these girls play. Uh, to be honest, I think they're the most exciting basketball team to watch up on the hill um, this season. So go, go watch some, uh, some uh, women's basketball up at the Huntsman. I think that's a nice take to say that they're probably the most exciting basketball team on the hill, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, I, I agree. I think this is a very young Utah women's basketball team. If you look at it, you have um, three seniors on roster right now. Um, that's young considering the depth that they have mainly sophomores and freshmen on this team and Jenna Johnson correct me or Jenna yeah Jenna Johnson correct me if I'm wrong has been the Pac-12 freshman of the week like twice this season already Mm -hmm. that's impressive given the other teams that are in this conference like UCLA and Stanford and Arizona who are these highly ranked teams who get these high high four and five star prospects so big ups to Lynn Roberts for finding this, for finding her in Minnesota of all places, um, which is not surprising because Drew Gilton is from South Dakota, which everyone, when she came in was like, South Dakota, how do you find someone from South Dakota? But Lynn <laughs> is kind of like Kyle Whittingham in which she will find these diamonds in the rough and will coach them up and get them to a high playing potential. Um, but Utah women's basketball, they are on the road this week at number 10 Arizona on tonight, Friday at 7 p.m. And then Sunday um, at Arizona State at 2 p.m. And then they will be at Oregon and then back at home for Colorado on the 28th. So we've talked about women's basketball, but now we have to address the elephant in the room, which is men's hoops. Um they have had some high highs this season, a.k.a. winning the sun, Sunshine Slam. And they have if you had can some, call that a high high. Well, considering the rest of the season, Cole, <laughs> it is a high high. They have had some, yeah, also some fair. very, very lows. Um, most recently, just everything that has happened down the stretch, losing some very close games. Cole, what are your thoughts on how the men's team is looking right now? Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind. And the first one is that the program took too long to pull the cord, pull the plug on Kristoviak. And and you're seeing what happened. I mean, he just, he had no mercy and just burnt this program to the ground. And he had some great years. There were some fun tournament runs. You know, they had some, uh, some great players in Kuzma and, and, and Jakob Pertl. But then just the last few seasons, especially last year, it just they took too long to pull the plug. And and just my heart goes out to Craig Smith. I think he is doing absolutely everything he can um, to make this team competitive. Um, but I'm really not surprised by what we're seeing. Um, and it's you can't be hard on these guys at all. Um, you, I, I think it's it's totally warranted to be disappointed in the program, not Craig and not the players. Um, he, they're all doing the best they can. And and really how I see this is it's just a roster of complementary players. It's not a roster of stars. You know, you don't have guys that can take over a game at any point. And, I mean, if you're comparing it to last year, Timmy Allen was kind of that guy. Alfonso Plummer could be that guy here and there. You just don't have anybody really even comparable to those guys. And if you watch the last couple of games, you get down to the fourth quarter and you need buckets. And it's like, you don't know who's going to take the shot. It can be a different, it can be a different guy. Every single, every single offensive possession. That's just really tough to find consistency and to hit, hit shots is 
you'll watch them run plays and I feel like they're taking a long time in the shot clock and then it's ending. And then the last five or 10 seconds, I feel like the ball moves a whole bunch because nobody wants to shoot it. Um, so there's just, it's unfortunate, but, you know, give, give these guys credit for trying and just continue supporting the team because right now there's no winning culture um, with this team. And it's going to take a while because like I said, all Craig had to work with was the transfer portal and finding guys that, that, that saw an opportunity to come play at a power five school. You know, I mean, they, they noticed an opportunity to leave programs that uh, I think for a lot of these guys were smaller than what Utah has to offer as, as far as a PAC 12 power five program. And I think one of the best basketball programs uh, in the country right now, I mean, if you're looking at last year's NCAA tournament, you had, you know, two Pac-12 teams almost make it the whole way. And so don't be so judgmental. Go and support these guys and just recognize it is like, call it what it is. It's a whole bunch of complimentary players that's, that, that saw an opportunity and Craig is trying his best. It will take time. I, I don't expect Utah to have a winning record for two to three seasons because it's just going to take time for him to get into the recruiting, find some guys that he can – you know, convince, you're going to have to convince them, you know, I mean, we're not going to be winning the recruiting in the state. So give it a couple years for some guys to have, you know, maybe some freshmen that you can say, Hey, you know what, if you're really good, instead of going to a different program to BYU or, or somewhere else in the PAC 12 um, or Utah state or something like that and sitting for a season or two, come and start for me at Utah. So give it a couple years but right now. Just call it what it is. And you you make good points because not only was has this team been had very rough games on the court, but they've also had some very 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 rough moments off the court. Um, namely, um, Brandon Carlson. That man has had a rough season, getting injured and then having his appendix take appendix taking out taken out also was in COVID protocols at one point. And this team has was dealt the worst hand possible. And if they can just get through the season, I'm going to call it a win. I fully said prior to the season starting that Utah is not going to be a tournament team this year. There was no way that this team was going to be a tournament team. And there is no way that this isn't going to be a tournament team for maybe two or three years, like you said, because there is no... I don't want to say star, but there is no it factor or no wow guy because every team seems like they have one or two guys that are the dude that they can rely on for almost anything. And Utah doesn't have that yet. You have some potentials. Um, I see Marco Anthony probably might, could be that, um, you know, Booth Gotch, if he, Booth has nights where he's fantastic and then he has nights where he is not good. Gabe Madsen could be that. Um, you just have not, it's not a deep roster too, because Craig was working with the transfer portal, like you said. And then also he has one commit now for the class of 2022. So things are not starting well for next season either, but again, you don't know what the transfer portal is going to give and you don't know what the transfer portal is going to take. Yeah, and and you bring up Brandon Carlson. I like him a lot. He's probably my favorite player on the Utes. I think he has a lot of potential. He 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 made a lot of improvements, um, and I'm glad he's still on the team because just about everybody else last year jumped ship, and he was someone that uh, that stuck it out. That was committed to the program. But let me just say this: I don't think that by design you want Brandon Carlson to be the guy. I don't think that's the type of player he's set up to be. He can be one of your main contributors. He can be, you know, uh, a 15 and 10 or a 20 and 10 type of guy, but he's not meant to be the star. That's not his in his DNA. And so that's kind of the issue you're seeing is first off, the best player on the team is out. And second of all, with the given roster, it's not unfortunate that Brandon Carlson is the guy because, like I said, I really like him. But he just, by design, he's not supposed to be 
the star of the team. And so that's just kind of where Utah basketball is right now. Brandon, like I said, Brandon can be in your top three. If you're going to, if you're going to say in, in, in your, your top three contributors, Brandon can be the second or third guy, but I just don't think by design, this program isn't going to go places behind Brandon Carlson. So it's unfortunate. I know it's tough. I know there's a lot of running Utes fans out there that, that reminisce about, you know, even just five, six years ago, right? Like Utah was a pretty dang good team, ranked in the top 25, made a pretty good run in the tournament. And, and you see those things on Twitter just the other day, you know, someone was mentioning the game against Arizona where I think it number nine, Arizona came into the Huntsman. I was actually at that game and Utah upset him and it was an elite atmosphere. That was actually one of the first Utah basketball games I'd ever been to. Um, incredible atmosphere. I'll never forget it. I was really, really taken back by um, just how electric it was and how much fun. And I don't know if the Huntsman has ever been, at least with, with, with men's basketball, I don't think it's ever been the same since uh, that season, which I believe was the 2015, 2016 season. So uh, just, just stick it out, you know, uh, support these guys, cheer for them, you know, go support them because again, they are just not filling seats and that's gotta be really tough. It's, it's hard to win games when you don't have a crowd behind you, right? When you don't have that, uh, that's that six man, you know, cheering you on and raising, raising the, uh, the momentum to your side. So just, it is what it is. Just enjoy, enjoy the ride, enjoy the lows and hope the Valley, you know, hope that these are the valleys and the mountaintops are on their way. And it's also kind of daunting for when you play in an empty arena and then you go to an opposing team and their stadium is full and you're not used to playing in that environment. Um, it's something we've talked about before on here about gymnastics. It's, it's, it's every sport. It's an every sport thing. You, you get used to your home environment and you hit the road and it's culture shock to a certain extent. So yeah, so as we record this episode, Utah is yet to tip off with UCLA at their, their lovely 9 p.m. kickoff. Um, we will see how that one turns out. Utah will take on number 16 USC on Saturday at 4.30 p.m. on Pac-12 Networks. And with that, Cole, you're a football fan. Who do you have? Casually. I'd say casually. Oh, yeah, a casual football fan. If you had to put a bet on what team is going to win the NFL Super Bowl, who are you going to put your money on? Certainly not Tampa Bay. Okay, that was Certainly rude. Certainly not. That was rude. <laughs> that was a low shot. That was a low. That was below the belt. That was unnecessary. You really just set it up, though. You just you just put that right on a platter for me. Okay. Well. Continue. I was going to say, Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue to march into the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all of the best sports wagering in 2022. Um, it's a new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website set up. Uh, web, ooh. It's a new year and a new, mo new and updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on to get started. From football to basketball to hockey to boxing and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers in 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Coming down the home stretch of this Friday edition of Locked on Utes. Um, and Cole recently came out with a piece for UteZone.com talking about his top five plays in Utah football history or this season, not history, because I think that would be <laughs> well, that would be a hard <laughs> list to make. But and I'm assuming it might have been a hard list to make for this year for your top five plays. But Cole, what did what did you say were your top five plays for this Utah football season this year? Yeah, so this this was difficult because I mean just a season for the history books one that was so much fun to be a part of and to travel and and to go to all these just big venues and watch the team thrive so it was it was hard it took it took some time to really figure it out but um yeah I picked five I mean 
and I think a lot of people, a lot of these could have been interchangeable. There's a lot that were just barely on the cusp, six, seven, eight, that that didn't quite make it in there. And there's a, there's a few, you know, notable mentions we could we could go over if we have time. But um, what I did is I, I, I just kind of looked at the value of the plays, you know, the impact that they had on those individual games, um, the, the individual play itself, how difficult it was, the momentum that it gathered and the impact that it had not only on the game, but on the season as well. So I started with number five, uh, Clark Phillips, a third pick six against Washington State. Some people question this one, but I chose this at five because this game was really close. Utah was only ahead by four points with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I mean, they trailed for a good, a good amount of this football game. And Washington State, you know, they, they weren't really moving the chain super well. It did come down to a fourth down and and uh but but Clark, you know, he he read the eyes of the quarterback, he stayed home, he picked him off, and then took it, I believe, fifty-four yards to the house. And it was really impressive the way he did it. Started on the left sideline, you know, made his way up, cut back, missed a few tackles, um, and, and scored. And and the reason that I put that at five is I really felt like, okay this greatly impacted the game. This, this, this iced it, this put it, you know, completely um, out of, out of Washington state's hands. There's no way they were going to come back from that. And uh, that was an important game. Um, Utah was, was one and two. They're coming off two losses that really shouldn't have happened. They started off conference play really, really strong. Um, they got that victory and that really helped with the momentum moving forward at USC and whatnot. And, and uh, so that, that's why I put that at five because I just I felt like that was a really really big play in a game that could have had a lot greater impact um, on negatively if they would have lost. You know, imagine if that play doesn't happen, they convert that. Washington State gets some momentum, they end up scoring. Utah loses, and they're one and three. Kind of hard to win the Pac-12 when you're one and three and to, and to think and believe in yourself. So that's why I put that one at five. I, I don't know if you agree with that or what you think, but that's why I put that one at five. I also think it's important to note that that pick six kept Utah's streak of, I think it's seven or eight seasons of um, seasons with a pick six. That was important, even though it would have happened if that pick six didn't happen by Clark, it would have happened later. Devin had two of his own, one in the Pac-12 championship game and one against Stanford. So that still would have happened, but I think that's the boost the team needed. I, I agree that it should be in the list um, because it was a momentum shift shifter. I think not only for that game, but I think that was also kind of a turning point for the season that proved that this defense was good and that what what was to come from the scene so what did you got for four uh, I got the cam rising flea flicker to Devon Vele against USC again just a really big momentous game for Utah uh, still trying to figure out who they were they come into the Coliseum they've never won in the Coliseum they hadn't beaten USC in over 100 years um, at you know in Southern California to come in the way they did to take a risk like this just before half um, and, and to execute the way that they did and kind of how it all came together. You know, Cam calls it, the coaching staff wonders what the heck's going on. They call a timeout, they trust Cam, they go with it, they execute it well, they use their secret weapon in the bond melee. And that was a big play. That was one of the biggest plays I think on the season, because again, it proved a lot to this team. It proved we can go in, and, and compete with the big dogs, the big programs, we can beat them. And it, it really kind of put the nail in the coffin on this game. When this happened, it was like, all right, Utah's going to win this football game. And, and they just, they just showed that with one play and they did go on and they went on to, to beat them. It, it gave them all the momentum um, going into the, into, into the half, they come out, they do the exact, you know, they, they dominate the second half and USC, no matter how hard they tried, um, they just couldn't get back in the football game. And like I said, I think this had a great impact on the season. It proved they could they could compete. It proved that they could be flashy, that they could take risks, they could execute them. 
um, and help them win a really big and critical football game. Or as people on Twitter are calling it, the flea thicker. <laughs> ha ha ha! I I That's think that is. Good. I think it's one of my favorite plays this season. You know, Utah tried to do it a couple a couple more times during the season, but it didn't have the same effect as it did in that game. And the other times, it also didn't work. Um, I that place will. I think that play will always have a very special place in my heart because I remember sitting there watching it and just losing my mind on the couch because of how impressive and how how well it worked but then to find out the backstory of it after the game just made me love it even more because that shows that this coaching staff has full faith in cam if he misreads his armband and he calls a different play and then they call a timeout and they're like what 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 was that and he's like oh i accidentally called this and they're like oh let's try it like that sounds like a good idea like that builds his confidence that builds the offensive confidence that just is good for the team in general, especially mm-hmm. after coming into that game with what had happened with Aaron the couple of weeks, the week before it was huge for this team, but I agree that should be on the list. Oh, good. Let's see if we can keep it rolling. Uh, number three, I went with, with Britton Covey's punt return against Oregon. Now, the reason I went with this one, I think this game was already out of reach for the Ducks, but it just was a huge moment. You know, Kyle talked about that game being one of the most electric um, events, electric games in his career as a coach. And it really put the nail in the coffin and it, it showed that Utah is, is really on the rise, that they are building an incredible brand and that, they are that they can be flashy and that they that the coaching staff really trusts in their players and then Britt was just brilliant with this play I mean I remember sitting in that press box and and a couple of us are like I think Steve Barlow and I looked at each other and we're like Kyle should call a timeout because Oregon I think was just going to take a knee and, and go into the locker room and we kind of look at each other like Kyle should call a timeout and then all of a sudden we see a timeout we look at each other we kind of start laughing like okay Kyle wants to see what Britt can do with this they foolishly punt to him instead of kicking it out of bounds or something they give it right to him and it's crazy you watch this play and just everything worked in Utah's favor there were two guys within about five feet of Britt he immediately fields it and takes off running he gets the edge there's a couple key blocks and there's also a couple key non-blocks where guys made sure not to block somebody in the back and have a penalty called. And, and Brett even talked about that after this game. He said, you know, there was a lot of great blocks and there's also some really good decisions that guys, you know, made sure not to get called for blocks in the back, a block in the back. Cause there were two opportunities that that could have happened, but they just kept their hands up, didn't touch the guys. The guys tried to make the tackle and, and just miss Britt. And then he takes it to the house and Rice Eccles goes berserk. I had, I have not been in the press box a ton of times. This was my first full season covering Utah football, but man, that place was shaking. It felt like an earthquake. And you just knew at that point, Utah is going to win this football game. They can win the Pac-12 and they just embarrass number three, Oregon at Rice Eccles. And that's why it makes number three, because just, it was just so much fun. There just was so much, so much excitement with that play. And it just kind of felt like, all right, Utah can do this. And that's kind of where, it, it, that's why for me, it makes the top three. Kamoy Lechu had a very, very, very key block in that play. And that's one that I always circle back on whenever I go back and watch that play. Kamoy was picture perfect on that block. He just took his guy out cleared space for Brit and it was beautiful. I remember watching that game in the stands with my family and my little brother was going crazy. I was going crazy. It was, a, it was so much fun. I've been in a lot of experiences at Rice Eccles, but that was probably up there game-wise is one of the best. Um, so it deservedly so deserves to be, be ranked on the list. Absolutely. And number two, we're not doing a whole lot of different stuff here i put covey's punt return from the rose bowl at number two his kick return um 
again, just the brilliance of Covey in his final game. I think it's, I think it could be one of the best plays in the history of the program, at least one of the best returns we've ever seen um, against Ohio State. He makes like five or six defenders miss. He cuts back and forth. He takes it 97 yards. He scores a touchdown. I mean, there was a lot of scoring, but Britt was a critical aspect of that game, a critical part of the offense. He had two touchdowns on the day, and this one was just, I don't know. I, I watch it over and over again. And I get chills every time I watch it because this is one of those guys that a lot, a lot of people are talking about Devin Lloyd and as they should be, how he gave the program everything and he absolutely did. But I think Britt's right there with him um, and Britt really laid it all out. He, he just is a football genius. He sees the, the field so incredibly well. And despite his size, the man has got some turbo. I mean, he can just move. And I think, to do that on the stage that he did and just everything about that game. I really think that he turned some NFL scouts heads with that performance and it put Utah, Utah up by two possessions after they had just given up a score. So I just, the stage, how impressive it was, how technical you know, when you look at it, the blocks that happened and him making defenders miss, they're just Covey is Covey's the man and he totally deserves it. And it was hard to not put this one as number one simply behind the excitement of it. Um, but just fantastic. And uh, that's why for me, it, it made number two, just because the kid balled out in his final game. And it was just really fun to see that. Yeah, and again, it was another one of those experiences that media members are saying rock the press box. And there's people I saw on Twitter who said, I've been at countless games of the Rose Bowl, but I've never felt the press box shake like this. And I think that also talks to the magnitude of the Utah fans that traveled out to this game and saw how important it was to see the Utes there. Um, it, it was a fun play to watch live. I will admit that. It was, it was fun because I saw him field that and I was like, okay, Britt, let's see what you can do. Because I just had a gut feeling from that time that I stepped into that Rose Bowl that Britt and Covey was going to have a monster game. And he did, both as a special teams partner and also on the offense. I think it's very, not touching, I can't remember, I, I lost the word, but I think it's very, like, fun and interesting that he was the one to score the first touchdown for Utah in, the, in their first ever Rose Bowl. Um, and it, to score two touchdowns in the Rose Bowl for Utah, I think it was huge for him and for the whole program. But yes, I agree. Drum roll for the number one. <laughs> Devin Lloyd's pick six, number one. Which one? He had two um, against, against against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Um, and, and there's a whole lot of reasons that go into this. Um, Devin, I think, was the most talented player on on the roster this year I don't think very many people will argue me on that one uh from from what Winningham has said and what I've seen I think he's going to be at the latest a top 15 pick could go somewhere between 10 and 12 um and he just was so Kyle Winningham went into a very long version of what Devin why Devin came back and basically he had unfinished business and he and Witt set a bunch of goals and he checked about every single one of them. I think the only one they didn't check was winning the Rose Bowl, but, but they got there that, you know, he came in all, you know, he's an all American. He's leading the team. He's, he's, he's the defensive player, you know, of the year for the PAC 12. He's the MV, he's the MVP of the PAC 12 championship. He just did, he did everything he said he was going to do. And this play was just kind of an illustration of all of that. It was pretty early in the game. You know, you are just up by seven. It's the first quarter. St- it, at this point, it could go either way, right? And Devin just kind of baits the quarterback into making the pass. He steps up. He picks it off. He takes it back. Utah goes up 14. And I just think at that point, Utah didn't look back. You know, it, it kind of just felt like game, set, match, to quote, you know, Wit from, from earlier in the season. I really think that's kind of the feeling and that's, it just, it, 
it deserves number one just because I think it really that's that's the moment that I think Utah knew they were gonna win and who better than to lead them towards that trophy than, than Devin Lloyd, another guy like we talked about, has given everything to this program and it's given everything back to him, right? I mean he's mm-hmm. he's definitely got got out of it what he's put into it, but that's the key is he put in so much and just was fantastic. I would not have wanted anybody else to have been on the receiving end of that. Um, and one other thing I loved about it was just the place erupts. And what does Devin do when he comes in the end zone? He throws up 22. So it just everything about it was incredible and amazing. And to me, that's the number one play of the season because it was on the stage that they, they could never get to the top. You know, they had struggled so many times and Devin came in and said, you know, did what he was going to do, what he said he was going to do. He made the biggest play of the game and the, for me, the biggest play of the season because they finally won the Pac-12 championship. And for me, this was the moment that they solidified it. You made very valid points with all of those. And I agree with that. Devin, El Capitan, he is going to go down as probably the best linebacker in Utah football history, unless someone can come up and dethrone that. But he's just, he's Mr. I don't want to say he's Mr. Do-it-all, but he is kind of Mr. Do-it-all. He's there in pass protect. He's back. He's, he's dropping into coverage. He's in the run game. He's putting pressure on the quarterback. He's doing it all. He also played on special teams for a good chunk of his career at Utah. How many starting linebackers at like other schools are still going to want to play on special teams? Not many. And so I think that he's just, he's the epitome of a Utah man. He fought through it, was a two-star prospect out of high school, bought into Utah, Utah bought into him. And now look at him. He's going to be a future first round draft pick at this time next year. We're probably talking about Devin Lloyd's rookie year and how good he played there, because Mm. I think he's, he's fantastic. So I agree. Um, Before we wrap up, what were your honorable mentions for this list? I have two that are in my brain. You go first. So I think Cole Bishop's blocked field goal versus Oregon was a big momentum shifter for the season because it kept them off the board in that game. Also, that was when Cole was uh, really bursting onto the scene for Utah and showing what he can do. Um, I think that's a good play. I also think TJ Pledger's 96-yard touchdown run versus Stanford is big because it is a school record now. And that was an incredible game for all, all aspects because you have three players rushing for over 100 yards for the first time in school history. Stanford only put up seven points. And they only put up seven points late, late, late in the game when all the starters were gone. That could have, if all the starters would have played the entire time, it probably would have been a shutout and it probably would have been a lot higher scoring. But that was a big play for me. So those are my two honorable mentions that I think should have made the list. Yeah, those those two were, I, I debated on, on both of those, especially, you know, pledgers <laughs> a couple times. Um, Coles was huge. Another one, uh, Clark Phillips strip um, in the Rose Bowl. That was that was one that, that I gave some thought to. Um, rising 62-yard uh, run in the Rose Bowl was another one. Uh, a lot of Rose Bowl um, stuff going on. Um, and then I, I don't know that I debated putting this in the top five, but it's one that a lot – there was actually a lot of people talked about it. Uh, Bryson Barnes coming in to the Rose Bowl and throwing that pass to Kincaid. Um, definitely maybe on the cusp of, of a top 10. I just think uh, there's a lot going for it. Like his demeanor and the way that he handled himself, like when he came into the game, I was like, oh boy, we have a very young walk-on that is now in charge of the offense. We're gonna to have to run the football. No, no offense to him whatsoever, but just his 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 youth and his lack of experience. There's there's not a lot to expect with anybody that's that that's coming from that situation. But the way he handled himself on that drive and the pass to Kincaid was remarkable. But my thing was there just wasn't a lot of 
value it. I mean, Ohio State marched right down the field, won on a field goal. You know, it wasn't like the game-winning touchdown. I mean, if he if he throws that pass and Utah goes for two and they get a stop, yeah, that may have been the best play of the whole year. But it's just the fact that it was really impressive at the end of the day. The value just wasn't there for me. Um, I do think it's a potential top 10, and and I'd be interested to know what uh, what Utah fans think on that one. Is it a top is it a top five? I've saw I've saw a lot of people the last couple of days responding to my article saying it's gotta be top five. So I saw some other people that thought, oh, 10 to 15, and some others that were like, oh, top 25. So I just I, I posed that question to Utah fans. Anybody listening, you know, hit us up on Twitter. What do you think? Was Bryson Barnes what what level would you put that play um, from this season? While you're on Twitter, be sure to follow Cole at Bagley underscore Cole. Um, Cole, do you have anything in the works for the people? Um, just going to continue covering men's basketball. Um, excited. Excited to, and then excited, really excited for spring camp. Um, it is, you know, a little bit away, but there's a lot, a lot of things to be excited about. Um, there's a whole lot of leadership openings on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's what I'm most excited to see is who steps up during spring ball because we lost Devin and Nephi and Mika and Bonte. Like there's just, there's some big holes, leadership holes that we have got to fill. And I'm excited to see, I've got some ideas of who I think might start to really step up. I'm excited to see um, who they are and, and what this incoming freshman class is going to do. There's a whole lot of guys that I think could be contributing this year that are, that are incoming. So um, excited for that coverage. I hope all of you guys are, are excited for uh, spring football because it's going to be good. I think we're always excited for football around here, but thank you so much, Cole, for joining me on today's episode of Locked on Utes. We, I appreciate it. The fans appreciate it. Everyone appreciates it. It was good to get back on the airwaves talking some sports with you. It's been a while, but, um, you know, they still happen in the texts on the daily. But thank you so much for making Locked On Utes your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Now make Locked On Bets your one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Your second listen today. Hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. This has been the Locked on Utes podcast for Friday, January 21st, 2022. And we will see you guys later. <laughs>